you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is our Christmas show. And of course, if it's our Christmas show, there can only be one guest, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hold on there, Robert Louis. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it. Uh, yeah, as, as, as Chris, Chris, Chris indicates, now normally... Uh, we have done the DC treasuries, and we did a Marvel treasury when all the, the Christmas-related ones. Now, we're still in the Marvel uh, world here, but not exactly in the Marvel universe. Uh, we're here to talk about <laughs> the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera number 1, The Flintstones Christmas Party. And boy, is that a mouthful as a title. Uh, some of you are probably wondering, what what is this? Uh, that's a good question. The Marvel put out, in the, in the late 70s, Marvel had a brief flirtation with the Hanna-Barbera license. And they put out Hanna-Barbera comics uh, featuring, you know, Flintstones and Nogi Bear and Scooby-Doo and all the, all the favorites. And for some reason, they also decided to do three treasuries featuring all original material featuring these characters. I never knew these books existed until I started up my treasurycomics.com site and I was doing research and I was like, wait a minute, what are these? I, li- I had never seen these. And so, of course, I went on eBay and got them all. Now I have them. But, Chris, were you familiar with these at all growing up? No, I had no idea. And if I had, I would have bought them. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, these are. I mean, it was it was a one-off series. They got they got their. I mean, they weren't called like Marvel Treasury Edition Flintstones Christmas Party. They got their own series. It was called the Fantastic World of Hanna Barbera, and it was issues one, two, and three. And there were two more that are not Christmas related. But I mean, it was a somewhat of a series. I mean, this this whole thing that Marvel did with the um, the the Hanna Barbera characters did not last long. They only had the license, I think, for like. Maybe even a year, something like that. I mean, they they and then and we'll get into the backstory of like how these books were produced. But it's sort of funny that Marvel got into this thing and then just got out of it so quickly. Yeah, it's it is. I, I knew that Marvel had done Hanna Barbera comics. Um, I didn't at the time, but even though I was probably that's probably around the time I was like starting to have comics bought for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was too young to buy them myself, but and I did have you know Archies and things like that. But I don't remember. And I've I actually had some of the, uh, you know, uh, Gold Key Western, you know, Looney Tunes and mm-hmm. Disney comics and things like that. But I, I don't remember having any Hanna-Barbera comics. But years later, I learned that they made them. But I didn't know about this treasury again until your treasury, uh, treasury blog. So. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Now, you've been to that museum, right? The one in St. Louis, the, the Hanna-Barbera Museum? No, no, I have not been to that. No. Oh, what's the one you've been to? Was it, wasn't there something that was like – that we ca- talked about that it looked what, – what, what am I thinking of? Isn't there well, some sort of thing like uh, that? Yeah. There, years ago, uh, Kings Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati had a Hanna-Barbera land. 
That's what I'm. Th- I'm sorry. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. And we went there many times when I was a kid. And I mean, they literally their their children's area was Hanna Barbera Land, and so they had. Uh, rides and they had this really cool ride that you like uh, kind of like almost like it's a small world it was a boat ride and it had all these animatronic Hanna-Barbera characters and and uh, then they had all the characters in the walking around in the costumes so you know there's wow. photos of me photos of me with Scooby Dumb and and <laughs> Hong Kong Fooey and <laughs> Snagglepuss and and so yeah it's it's uh, it, it was great we 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 loved it and and it changed hands over the years and now it's uh, the kids' land is uh, peanuts, Snoopy. So not bad, not a bad trade-off. No, no, okay. Uh, but but uh, so that's good. Yeah, but but yeah, we we thought you know it was like our it was nowhere near Disney World or Disneyland, but back then we thought it was. <laughs> but oh it was, yeah, I would have gone to that if I if it had been available to me. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was cool. I actually picked up uh, one of the Scooby Doo Power Record albums in Hanna Barbera Land uh, there on one visit. So tie into our their show so there you go <laughs> that's fantastic that's so cool oh my god i love it you still have it yeah i still have that one yeah oh yeah. that's wonderful oh that's great i love that they had the power records for sale that's so cool uh so yeah okay so, so this book is said it's called uh, the fantastic world of Hanna barbera number one the flintstones christmas party it is by mark evanier k wright and scott shaw with an uncredited assist on the jetsons chapters by tony strobel and joe prince so before i get to the Plot synopsis. Uh, I do want to talk, give a little bit of backstory here. Mar- on Mark Evanier's blog, News From Me, uh, on December 25th, 2013, he actually wrote about uh, writing this specific book in response to a question. So he says, there's not a lot to remember, I'm afraid. I was writing comics for Chase Craig, who was my editor back when I worked for Western Publishing on Gold Key Comics. Chase had retired and then come out of retirement to edit a line of comics for Hanna-Barbera, which were published by Marvel. We were all working for Hanna-Barbera, not Marvel, on conventional-sized funny books. Then one day in mid-August, Chase called me and said approximately someone at Marvel just decided they want to put out a tabloid comic this Christmas. It's got to be 48 pages and feature all the Hanna-Barbera characters in some sort of storyline that ties them all together, but they want it to be mainly a Flintstones story. He says, I was never fond of intermingling the talking human characters, Flintstones Jetsons, with the talking animal characters, Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear. But by then, I'd already learned a basic truth. When a company owns multiple properties and thinks there's a buck to be made by crossing them over, they cross them over. <laughs> End of discussion. Save your breath and don't bother arguing that the worlds do not quite intersect and that the mythology of each is diminished a little by homogenizing environments down to be compatible with one another. One of these days, someone at Disney will decide – this is funny that he wrote – one of these days, someone at Disney will decide that – the public is dying for a movie in which Darth Vader and the Hulk team up and battle Donald Duck. And it won't matter one bit that uh, maybe these folks dwell in separate realities. I think we're a lot closer to that than Mark ever imagined in 2013, but, oh, but yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, he continues. He says, actually, there was uh, no time to even think about such things because the Flintstones comic had an impossibly tight deadline. Chase, who had a fiendish but friendly glee in sending me off to write scripts overnight, sent me off to write a script overnight. I did the first 24 pages that night and a second 24 pages the next day. A few years later, during a July heat wave, Joe Barbera asked me to write a primetime Yogi Bear Christmas TV special with much the same all-star cast, also in two days. So this job was a good rehearsal for that job. I wrote the comic in chapters, a Yogi Bear chapter, a Quick Draw McGraw chapter, so we would each have different artists working simultaneously on different parts. As fortune would have it, the day I turned in the script, I was sitting with Chase in his office when Kay Wright poked his head in. Karen K. Wright was a veteran comic book artist and animator who had worked for Chase back at Gold Key. He drew among hundreds of comics the junior woodchuck stories that Carl Brooks wrote in semi-retirement. 
He had recently been working as a producer for Hanna Barbera that very day. He had been laid off. He asked Chase, got any work? Chase grinned and said, have I got work? Kay was ideal for the assignment, and he wound up drawing the entire book, except for the Jetsons chapter, which was drawn uncredited by Tony Strobel and Joe Prince. Tony drove the other artist Chase had hired a gold key, and Tony drew the Jetsons comic. We needed an inker for Kay's many pages, and I suggested my friend Scott Shaw, who was just breaking into comics. He was good, and he knew the HB characters better than anyone except, of course, me. Soon after, I happened to be talking to another friend, Mike Royer, and he mentioned that he had a light work schedule at the moment, so I persuaded him to letter the story. Our regular colorist for the HB Comics, Carl Gafford, colored it, as I recall, record time. Anyway, I got the, it got the press a day or two before it had to be printed. Given the deadline, it's amazing that it got done at all, let alone turned out okay. At least several hundred comic books I've written, it's probably the top ten of those that people ask me about or want to sign. Since so many are never mentioned at all, I figure we have to have done something right. It sold pretty well in this country and even better in others. And that's all I remember about it for this. The day he sent the Flintstones Christmas party off the press, Chase and I went out to lunch to celebrate. I said, well, at least that's over. He said, well, that one is, but they called this morning and they want Yogi Bear's Easter Parade. I'll expect the script on the day after tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that the, the reason I went into that whole long story is because I think it does provide a little bit of context for, for going over uh, this comic because, I mean, we'll get into the plot in a moment, but, but Chris, I think you agree that this – this is a, a perfectly fine story, but probably not something I would consider like an all-star kind of treasury feeling kind of a book. Right. I mean, the, the fact that all the characters are in it is what, you know, it's, it's Christmas crisis on Hanna-Barbera Earth, basically, <laughs> you know. Uh, and Santa's harbinger, you know. He's like gathering the different Hanna-Barbera. Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, come with me. Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy, come with me. <laughs> the skies are red and green. Yogi, I don't think Ranger Smith is going to like the red skies. <laughs> I don't know, boo-boo. Uh, maybe I'll get a picnic-type basket while everybody's running for cover, you know, or something. Wow, you're good at this, Chris. Jeez. <laughs> I've got years of practice. <laughs> I guess so. All right. So, all right. So, let's get into the, the plot of this book. Uh, it said, it opens with that Fred Flintstone finds himself with a case of the Christmas blues with everyone enjoying the holiday spirit except him. To cheer himself up, Fred decides to buy a bunch of toys for the kids in the nearby orphanage, an idea that Barney, Wilma, and Betty heartily endorse. To make sure all the kids in need need get a gift, Frank takes out a loan, not bothering to read the fine print, namely that the Flintstones' house will become the property of the bank unless the loan is paid back by Christmas Eve. To make matters worse, Fred realizes he's forgotten to mail the invites to the big Christmas party, Christmas Eve party Wilma was planning. It seems everything, it seems like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for the Flintstones. But Fred doesn't notice that Santa himself has noticed Fred's predicament and vows to get people to the party one way or the other. Santa then visits Yogi Bear and Boo Boo, Snooper and Blabber, Snagglepuss, McGill and Gorilla, Peter Potamus, Secret Squirrel, Adamant, Top Cat, Quickdraw McGraw, Huckleberry Hound, Wally Gator, Augie Doggy, and the Jetsons to the party. Back in Bedrock, the orphans show up at Fred's house with a box full of cash, which they want to give to the Flintstones so they can repay the loan. How did these orphans get the money? They won a Best Christmas Tree contest, and somehow a massive, beautiful tree showed up on the orphanage's lawn overnight. Fred goes to the banker with the money, but the banker insists that because it is now Christmas Day, Fred must give up his home. But he quickly tears up the contract when McGilla Gorilla shows up and strongly suggests the banker tear up the mortgage, which he does. Santa tells Fred that he has brought all of Fred's friends along, and the big Christmas party commences. All right, Chris, so this was your first pass at reading this story. Uh, I mean, what did you, what did you think of it? 
Well, you know, I, I thought overall, I mean, I could, I mean, I think, you know, Mark Evanier has written tons of comics, tons of uh, animated episodes. And uh, I don't know what the special was that he wrote for uh, Hanna-Barbera that, that he talked about, but I wonder if it wasn't uh, uh, Yogi's First Christmas, because that's the that's the one where all the, almost all of these same characters, minus the Flintstones and the Jetsons, um, they, they're all together and Yogi like decides to not hibernate through Christmas that year. And I remember that one as a kid. And so he wrote, you know, I know he wrote Garfield and friends forever. And, yep. and I mean, he knows these characters like the back of his hand, like he said, in, in the little uh, clip that you read. And this, I mean, it felt like you were watching an episode of each of the shows, except, you know, the characters were like other characters were walking in and out of the background and, and, um, Santa Claus showed up. I mean, the voice, the voices were dead on. I mean, you could hear you could hear the voice actors uh, as you read it, and the artwork was really well done. Very very audible. You know, sometimes you get these books and you're like, oh man, like Wilma doesn't look right. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. But no, I mean, I guess partially because this was produced not by Marvel, but more you know under Hanna Barbera. It, it's it's dead on. So yeah, I mean, I just thought, I mean, I'd like to have seen a, a t- like this, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like why didn't they just adapt this um you know but yeah i, I really i really enjoyed it i'm not a big uh despite loving the cartoons i'm not i have never been a big um buyer of the uh you know the cartoon adaptations in the comics since i was a kid i mean i bought some over the years but and you know and this shows me it's like you know you idiot you really should go check out some of the better stuff out there because i actually really enjoyed reading this so <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. Like I said I do, I like the fact that it's one big story, which is fun. Um, it, it, the cover, uh, we should talk about the cover a little bit. The one little bit, it's the the all the characters are pretty much on model, except were you bothered a little bit by the coloring of like um, Fred and Barney's like muzzle? Because uh, like yeah, in the and like in the you know it's always of course in the cartoon it was always drawn slightly darker to indicate like a beard kind of like a Homer Simpson kind of thing, but here their muzzle is like magenta red. <laughs> it just looks very very strange. <laughs> you know, you just this could have been one of those. You know, we've we've all seen that that those commercials that they used to air during the original Flintstones, where Fred and Barney are smoking cigarettes. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's like they should have had this like Barney. You should use Gillette Foamy. Oh, gee, yeah. Brett, uh, I think you're right. My skin's awful irritated. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what happens. I think when you use a bird to clip your beard or whatever it is that they use on that show, it's like yeah, it just looks it just looks red and inflamed. It looks very painful. But of course, I guess it's just the uh, the coloring gradients were just a little off when they when they ran it. I mean, it's it's amazing they managed to fit so many people. I mean, it's all the characters in Santa's sled, and you'll be able to see these images over on the website firewaterpodcast.com. But it's it's fun. I mean, it's like for a dollar twenty five if you're a fan of these characters, like this is everything you want because it's like look, it's it's literally all the characters except, of course, for one noticeable absence which are of course the scooby-doo characters mm-hmm. the scooby-doo none of the scooby-doo characters are in this uh they're not in the story except they do appear on the very last page on the inside cover there is a gag page it's scooby-doo's christmas chuckler and it's like a little uh 
like a uh, kind of like a you know read the code, uh, discern the code thing, and it's clearly drawn by Dan Spiegel. You could just tell, and it looks mm-hmm. so it looks great. But I always sort of I, I I maybe should have occurred to me to like write to Mark and just ask him like why why isn't Scooby doing the gang in this? Maybe it's just one too many sets of characters to work in. But I mean, obviously they appear here, but it's it's sort of it's a little bit sad that they don't get to appear in the the actual story. Maybe they thought that that the uh, the human characters in Scooby were a little too close to being, and this is weird to say, but that they were a little more human than say Ranger Smith and and the Jetsons and I, I don't, I don't know true. maybe they maybe they felt like they didn't they they didn't quite blend in you know they were more it's weird to think that Shaggy's actually human you know but right. <laughs> but I, the, the, this cover I mean this is like Dick Dillon level of cramming characters into a panel and still making it yep. work i mean you yep. know it's it's like they're all i mean santa's of course i mean if santa's sleigh carries all those toys and i guess he can carry mcgilla gorilla and yogi and <laughs> Fred, adamant and adamant, Blood, astro yeah. and uh mr jinx and <laughs> pixie and dixie you know <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's cute it's an it's very bright and colorful i mean i would have loved to i mean it, it i was a. Uh, curious as to mark's comment about they said that it sold well and it sold even better in other countries because like i said i never saw this for sale um would i have bought it maybe i don't know i might have been more you know with the limited money that i had i'm sure i would have gone for superheroes over this but i certainly don't remember ever seeing these but uh i'm I'm heartened to hear that they sold well which makes me even more curious as to why this line didn't continue if if it was kind of a success you would think that marvel would have gone on with these things but as, as we as we learned, like this was just a licensing thing. I mean, Hanna Barbera was doing this all in house, and then just sending it all to Marvel, and Marvel was just slapping their logo on top of it. Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of weird because you know we're we're entering the era where Marvel is doing licensed books really well. I mean, you know, Star Wars, and and then later GI Joe and Transformers, and and making a ton of money off of them. And so maybe maybe, but they had a lot of. Even even to a point with Star Wars, they had a lot of creative control. You know, uh, I mean, obviously Lucas Film was basically saying you can't do this and you can't do that. But I mean, they pretty much wrote the book on GI Joe and Transformers. I mean, they mm-hmm. helped develop those properties. So maybe because they weren't as involved in this, they felt like you know it wasn't you know they they could cut it loose or I don't I don't know who cut what loose. But it was is a shame because I think after this, at least in the U.S., Hanna Barbera comics kind of just disappeared because you know like it wasn't too long before uh western and you know Goldkey whitman was all pretty much out of the comic business yeah, and yep, yep. and um at one point worked the hanna barbera comics at charlton like before right before this i think, I think. so yeah and, yeah so i know i think that's where some of the scooby-doo by dan spiegel and and yep, evan ear yep. uh, come from too so uh yeah but it yeah it's it's a yeah it's it's kind of it is kind of strange if this sold well why they didn't and i mean they had you know, it's like for Hanna Barbera. I mean, this kept those characters in the spotlight because honestly, when I was a kid, when I was a young, a little kid, I knew these characters more from like All Star Laugh Olympics than their mm-hmm. own shows. You know, a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was that Yogi, like the the one where Yogi had like a flying arc or something. And <laughs> I, I I remember that that had like and it had like almost all these characters minus the Flintstones and the Jetsons. And it and so that I remembered them from that, but I didn't see the original shorts until um, you know that were part of like the Huckleberry Hound show and stuff like that until um, I think it was USA Network 
had like the Cartoon Express on in the late starting in the late eighties. And like, they would have like a two hour block or something in the every afternoon. That was nothing but like Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Like, you, you know, and they just mingled them together. Yogi Bear, mm-hmm. was, you mm-hmm. know, Pixie and Dixie and all that. And, uh, that's where I finally got to watch the originals. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of like, I'm like, well, you know, these are, and I mean, as a kid, I liked laugh Olympics and stuff like that, but you know, I won't say they were edgy, but they weren't, they weren't dumbed down by, you know, parents advocacy groups, in the 60s, <laughs> you know, in the seventies, like, like, you know, how the super friends can never throw a punch and things like that. They, mm-hmm. they still had old school Looney Tunes type violence, you know, and, and things like that. And I mean, not, not quite that extreme, but, uh, they had a little more bite to them. And, and I appreciated that because, uh, I, the re- one reason I go into these voices, I can blame this on my dad because, uh, he always tells this story that like him and my mom, as soon as they got married, like the, the first Saturday they were married, he got up, turned the TV on and sat on the couch. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to watch cartoons. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's like, she's like, what? You know, and here's, here's this 28 year old man. That's a police officer in town. And he's going <laughs> to sit there and watch. She couldn't get over the fact you're going to sit there and watch cartoons. He's like, yeah. And, 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 and him and his, him and his like, partner like would be in the like the squad car and you know all these shows were on tv and they'd be like look it's a perpetrator even we should have wow. pranked him you know oh like, my god they, they would do these like snagglepuss voices and yogi bear and stuff back and forth and and apparently his partner was this big dude that that wrestled on the weekends on the side and and you know, so he was like this. It was like, and my dad was like tall and thin, and he was like big. And so they kind of looked like Hanna Barbera characters, anyway. I think so. You know, basically, uh, you know, Officer Dibble or whatever from Top Cat. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, so yeah, so that I means so you know, I grew up with dad doing all these voices, and you know, that's my boy who said that, and things like that. You know, so I mean, that's 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 where all this mania comes from. So I. <laughs> That's that's amazing. That's I you never told me that story before. That's that's remarkable. When I was a, when I somewhat similar, I when I was a kid, uh I used to uh my my dad would call me Augie Doggy cuz I called him Doggy Daddy. Aww. That was what we did as a kid cuz I used to watch that thing. So I mean, yeah, you really had that's that's remarkable. I love that. <laughs> that's I like your mom just like she's just like, "Oh, well, okay." I mean, it's funny what you say about about bite. I mean, yeah, we don't want to like oversell these, but but at the same time like this this book is written by Mark Evanier and Mark Evanier wrote, you know, a lot of a million comics and a million cartoons and you know, as we say he knew these characters backwards and forwards. So even though this thing has got, you know, the sort of the the, the plot as it chugs forward, there's lots of room for like little gags and stuff because that's who that's where Mark Evanier is it is he's really more of a comedy writer than anything else. And so I one of the things I enjoyed about this book when going through it it, was all the little throwaway gags that they stuck in, which I have to assume is Evanier telling you know Kay Wright and Scott Shaw to put these in, and where it's like you've even got like um, like in the opening splash page, you've got like the the bird that's like the candle holder, and he's holding the candles and he says like I have very seasonal work. It's just like little bits and pieces that I like that they threw in. I like on page two there is like some Christmas holly in between some panels, just as like a decorative thing. You know, I like all that stuff. I just like that he throws in all these little – on page five, the panels are divided by a bow 
which is a nice touch. I mean, I just like that they threw in all this extra little stuff just to kind of reward repeat view, repeat readings. And of course, if you're a little kid and you have these books, you go over them a million times, and it, it's it's just nice to have all these all these extra little bits here and there. Yeah, I really like the little reads and little ribbons and everything that were in the you know in amongst the panels, but. Now that you've told me that the Jetsons chapter is drawn by a different artist, it makes sense because Kay Wright was being very subtle with those. Whoever drew the Jetsons chapter, I can't remember who he said, but that there's one page where there's this huge candle that's like basically like coming in between the panels. And I'm like, wait, why, why is there a candle in the middle of the – oh, wait a minute. It's another decorative thing. So mm-hmm. – <laughs> I just thought that was kind of now. Now you know. Now you can kind of understand. Well, yeah, it was drawn by somebody else. I didn't quite get what the other artist was doing. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> Tony. Yeah, Tony Strobel. It was the name of the guy that drew the the Jetsons thing. But yeah, it's uh, it's 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 it, you you can tell now that you know that it was drawn by somebody different. You can tell slightly a little bit of a difference thing. But but yeah, I just like I said, Evanier threw stuff in probably to entertain himself a little bit, but also to entertain anybody that's maybe a little older. Like, of course there's a, there's a, 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 a top hatted kind of like monocled uh, guy who comes in to hire uh, Snooper and blabber. Cause he's looking for a missing person and he's a rich guy. And his name is Charles Foster Crane. You know and I'm like? Okay. Just, you know, I mean, no little kid is going to get that reference, but if you're an adult, you're, you just kind of like nod a little like, Oh great. It's a great little reference for, for, you know, just, just kind of to throw it in. And it is fun seeing, I mean, despite what Mark says about these characters intermingling and maybe they lose a little something when they're, when they're intermingled, I, you know, it, you and I grew up on these things of, of multi universes, and of course now the uh, the modern world uh, loves the MCU. You know everybody loves these things, mm-hmm. so pe- people love interconnected universes, and it's just fun seeing all these characters all together, just walking. You know, Wally Gator walking by, and you know, like mixing in with everybody. So, and it's fun. I mean, not much happens, of course, when they all get together when they go back to when they go actually go back in time. You know, when they visit Fred, it's a, it's just a big party, and there's nothing else at that point. It's basically all the characters only appear together on the cover and on this final page. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still just fun to see them all. It's it's a, it's a cute, and I actually do kind of like that. Magilla Gorilla is the enforcer on the the the, uh, <laughs> the the cold-hearted banker. I think that's fun too. Yeah, it is funny. It does make me wonder though why Fred seems to recognize. McGilla Gorilla and Lippy the Lion, which honestly, Lippy the Lion, I barely recognize, but uh, <laughs> he's a little obscure even for me. But, uh, but, but, uh, so it's like, have these, this, this raised the questions. When have these characters met before? Am I missing yeah. some, <laughs> am I missing some background here? It's like, you know, they should have had a little footnotes. Please see, um, you know, episode number blah, 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 or something like that. I don't yeah, know. really. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's one thing I always do. I mean, even as a kid, I mean, this is, this is the type of things that I think about. I think about, you know, that there were several Flintstone Christmas episodes and then there were Christmas specials later after the actual original show went off. And even as a kid, I'm thinking, how do they have Christmas when it's BC? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just like, wait a minute. What? (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to get into that too much. Let's not get into heady topics like that. No, but no. I'm no. just saying it's just kind of funny if you think about it. You know? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really doesn't really quite track, but okay. You know, whatever. However, however, it's going to work for you. But uh, yeah, I said it's it's overall it's a cute story. Like I said, the gags are fun, and Evanier. I mean, clearly he's the guy you get. If you want to do these, because he just he knows the comic book form, having worked with Jack Kirby for so many years, and then uh, you know, and then also knows these characters backwards and forwards. And yeah, I would have, I would have, would have been fun if Scooby and the, the gang could have appeared. But I think you're right, Chris. I think you, you, the Fred and 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 Daphne and Velma are and Shaggy are just maybe a little too human looking, and might have not mixed in well with because he said even the human characters here, like there's the the tough guy that goes after. Uh, um, Huckleberry Hound, like they're super cartoony looking, mm-hmm. and so maybe it would have been like and you said. And when you see them as drawn by Dan Spiegel, yeah, these they look humanoid as opposed to the humans in this story that look like what you see with the rest of the characters. And it does. I don't think I mentioned Hong Kong Fui is in this. I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I think I left him out in the list. He is in this. He was always outside of Scooby. I think he was always my favorite. I loved Hong Kong Fui show. I thought that was just so fun. Yeah, and I, I, I did too. He was always one of mine too. So I was really excited when I got to meet him in, in Hanna-Barbera land, you know, uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and even like when I, they still had that one up till when I was in high school and there's a picture of like me and Cindy with, with Hong Kong Fui. So, oh, <laughs> that's great that's super but but uh it did kind of surprise me to see him here because the rest of these characters are all from like the late 50s through the through the 60s you know and and like there was like kind of like well scooby was kind of the he kind of like totally changed the format for Hanna Barbera because he was so successful they just decided to start ripping him off and just make mm-hmm. scooby clones over mm-hmm. and over and over again and so they kind of Ended the, uh, you know, the Huckleberry Hound, uh, you know, Yogi Bear type, uh, you know, funny animal character and went with the, you know, group of teenagers and, and you know, a silly animal, usually a dog. I mean, some of the, some of the Scooby ripoffs are like, really, guys? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, it's like this is the same show with just, you know, different character designs. Uh, right. It's like Speed but, Buggy uh, is Scooby-Doo, but with a car. Basically. Oh right! Oh definitely! Yeah, I mean the the what's Tinker Tinker? That's the the mechanic guy. He is definitely. I mean, he's even got the same chin as Shaggy. You know, I mean, right. come on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, it's like, instead of the instead of being a dog, he's a talking car. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. And and so yeah, it was kind of weird to see Hong Kong Fu because he comes from that different era. But he, you know, he fits in fine because he's a. He's a funny animal, anthropomorphic, you know, and and it's kind of fun. I don't think he has much dialogue, but I always just no, like to hear no. Scatman Crothers in my head talking, you yeah. know. And and then I have to reconcile the fact that he's in The Shining, you know, which That's is That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Stay so. out. Stay out. <laughs> Dick hollering. Uh, yeah, so. Exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, I mean this is a cute and it ends with a there's a back cover and it's Fred and Betty and or excuse me, Wilma, of course. Uh, and uh, pebbles with with the Dino, and it just says, "Have a very merry Christmas and a fantastic New Year." So it's just a sweet little book. Uh, you know, there's there's not a whole lot to like really sort of examine, but I I wanted to talk about it because I like doing some of the more obscure stuff. Again, we already talked about two of the DC Xmas books and one of the Marvel ones. So I just like that these exist. I think for probably a lot of people that are even Treasury fans, they don't even know these these exist, these books, that, that, that they ever published them. So I was glad to kind of like, you know, shine a light on them for, for Christmas because it's, it's a cute little book. And if you're a fan of these characters, you're going to love it. And I would imagine like if you were – 
you know, to get this for like as a Christmas present, that would be super fun to see a book this size with all these characters having a good time. And so it's it's a sweet little story. Yeah, I imagine if I had gotten this at the age when it came out, at the age I was, this would have like if I had any of it left, it would probably be like you know the cover and the first two or three spreads would be missing. But I would have right, read it yeah. to death, you know, and just sat there on the floor and just flipped through it and looked at it and and probably tried to draw the characters out of it because I mean it they are so on model. Mm-hmm. Other than other than mm-hmm. Fred Stubble, and oddly enough, Fred Fred's black tie instead of blue, which is kind of weird. I, I, that that is one thing that's like you know his, his tie is supposed to be blue, you know, not not <laughs> not black. But other than, other than that, I mean, everything's just like just the straight on model. I mean, it's just it it looks great. I mean that you know, and of course Scott Shaw went on to for me, I always think of Captain Carrot and his Captain amazing. Captain Carrot, sure, yeah. You know, and I know Scott Shaw's done many other things and worked in animation and everything else. And he does his oddball comics that show up in different magazines. It's in Retro Fan now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I always, you know, I've got a, a special place in my heart for Scott Shaw because of Captain Carrot because I love that book <laughs> as a kid. I love that. I was so, I mean, I bought every issue of that that book off the off the stands and, and just ate it up. So, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah, this is just a, this is just a whole lot of fun, and it makes me want to. Honestly, makes me kind of want. If I see any of these Marvel Anna Barbera books in, you know, cheap enough, I'm gonna buy them because I enjoyed. I enjoyed doing this. I really did. So. Yeah, it was cute. It's a fun little book. So uh, that's gonna do it for the fantastic world of Hanna Barbera. The Flintstones Christmas Party. Again, probably the longest title we've covered here on Treasury Cast <laughs> at this point. So, Chris, thank you once again for joining me on the Christmas episode of, of Treasury Cast. I feel like it wouldn't be Treasury Cast if we didn't wrap up the year with you. So, uh, thank you so much. And uh, tell people where they can find you here on our network. Oh, uh, you can find me on JLU Cast with my wife, Cindy. We're getting ready to jump into season two. Of Justice League, yes, yes, good stuff ahead. We're we're out of the shakedown cruise, and now we're into the really good stuff. Uh, so <laughs> we also occasionally do Supermates, Cindy and I. I'm on Superman Movie Minute with you, which we're wrapping up Superman two as we speak. Yep. Uh, so we occasionally do Power Records. Uh, Ryan and I do Nightcast. Uh, we got to get back to that. We just did a season of that. We're doing seasonal. You know, seasonal nightcast. We're like a Netflix show now. You know, it's like <laughs> it's sort of like Disney. It's like a you know Disney Plus. You got to wait for season two of The Mandalorian. You got to wait for season three of Nightcast now. You know, so <laughs> no Baby Yoda. I'm sorry. I, you know, oh, but... that's unfortunate. Oh. <laughs> well, they said awesome again. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. I want you to stay tuned. We're going to run some podcast promos. When I come back, I'm going to do listener feedback for episode 41 of the show, which was the Doctor Who Dave Gibbons Treasury Edition. Stay tuned. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... The Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. 
Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. We got kids with powers, we got villains with attitude. We got superhero guests, like all of them from the Marvel Universe. We have thematically appropriate beer reviews. We have good jokes and bad song parodies. One stop for all your Power Pack pod-pleasing procurements. And we got alliteration. Find Unpacking the Power of Power Pack wherever fine podcasts are played. Costumes on. And we're back with listener feedback for episode 41 of Treasury Cast, which was, of course, the Doctor Who Dave Gibbons Treasury Edition from IDW with my special guest, Siskoid, and the Irredeemable Shag. So we're going to go right to the comments from the website, firewaterpodcast.com. First up is Robert Ward, who says, Shag and Siskoid have the patience of saints. From the first utterance of calling the Doctor Doctor Who, I wanted to pull Rob aside. Rob, Rob. We need to talk. His name is The Doctor. He's the definitive article, you could say. Uh, sorry about that, Robert. Yeah, I actually do know that The Doctor is not called Doctor Who. Uh, I just forgot that. And uh, yes, as you say, Siskoid and Shag were nice enough not to correct me repeatedly. Uh, they could have. Uh, Shag really doesn't seem too shy about correcting me on other shows. I don't know why he was so nice to me on uh, Treasury Cast. Um, Siskoid, for his part, uh, commented that, you know, my Doctor Who is the movie Doctor Who, who of course was called Doctor Who's, but that, that wasn't what it was. I, I just... I just plum forgot, so sorry about that, Robert. I hope the show wasn't too frustrating uh, for you to listen to. Uh, Santaron says, uh, by the way, this is the second version, the moon base of the Cybermen seen on the cover. Thank you very much for that. And then Chag follows up with, I know, I feel so stupid. I knew it was a moon base Cyberman, one of my favorite episodes. Long story, not worth explaining here, why I idiotically got it wrong. So see, I'm not the only person that makes mistakes when it comes to Doctor Who. And then Chag made a mistake, and he's an expert. So get off my background reward. Uh, we get a comment from Chris Lewis. He says, what a great episode. For my undying love of Doctor Who, the comic strips have long been a bit of a blind spot. I suspect because the availability of Doctor Who weekly was rather sporadic when I was growing up, so it became harder to follow such an episodic tale. The classic series DVDs have a documentary series called Stripped for Action, documenting the history of Doctor Who strips and comics for those who are interested. If I was recommending a Doctor Who story for Rob, it'd be 1977's Image of the Fendal for its 1970s Hammer horror vibe, if Hammer made kids programs. Uh, and regarding that Stanley photo, if I was covering my genitals with a comic, I'd make sure it was a Hulk treasury, not an Adam Digest, if you catch my drift. To which Edo Bosnar followed up with, or Giant Sized Man Thing, sorry, couldn't resist. Uh, yes, Chris, thank you for that recommendation. Uh, a Doctor Who that has a Hammer Horror vibe? That sounds really cool. I'll see if I can, like, find that somewhere. I have no idea where you find old Doctor Who episodes, but I'm sure someone will tell me. Uh, by the way, Edo Bosnar comes back with, uh, well, I'm with Shag. As soon as I saw the poor coloring in that Doctor Who issue of Marvel premiere on the spinner rack, I sniffed haughtily and refused to purchase it. Ha, kidding. I didn't get it because I just wasn't into Doctor Who. Back then, I just knew it was this oddball British show that aired on PBS. However, that didn't take away from my enjoyment of the show. Like with the recent Transformers Treasury, I found it interesting to learn a little something about a major pop culture property I knew so little about. Thank you, Edo. Gothos Mansion says, uh, do I have to turn my in my nerd card if I admit I haven't seen any iteration of Doctor Who? That Stanley photo is another reason why I'm glad I bought my Batman vs. the Incredible Hulk when it was new. If I bought a used copy off of eBay, I would be paranoid that I had the one that touched Stan Lee's junk. Oh, of course, there is no... <laughs> that's just funny to say. Of course, there is no guarantee that my other comics weren't on someone else's junk before I bought them. Now I may have to burn my entire collection. Gee, 
Thanks, Rob. Sorry, Gothos. I really felt it was important in the history of the Batman whole comic to mention that photo. Uh, my pal Martin Gray says, thanks for one of the best episodes yet. I loved hearing all the chat. Doctor Who is one of my favorite characters in TV fiction. I'm glad Siskoid emphasized to Rob that Doctor Who has never been a predominantly lighthearted show. It's traditionally balanced light and shade very well. As a Brit, I grew up on Doctor Who, only dropping off when they moved it from Saturday to a weekday in the 80s. It was opposite Coronation Street, and no one had video recorders back then. I rejoined the show with the modern revamp, though the last few years have been rough, as has ever more steadily disappeared up its own arcs. <laughs> Does every companion of Doctor Who have to have some kind of cosmic destiny? They're supposed to be the POV character through whose eyes we see Doctor Who, not a deity. Uh, I didn't know any of that stuff, Martin. Uh, again, maybe that's a topic for another discussion on a, some Doctor Who podcast. Maybe Fire and Water could start someday. Shag, get on that. Says, go ahead, get on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark Baker Wright says, it was a great episode, but of course I'd say that being a pretty major Doctor Who fan myself. Thank you, Mark. Luke Giaconetti says, I would normally not download a Doctor Who comics podcast, but they put a Cyberman on the cover and suddenly my interest is peaked. Looking forward to listening. Thank you, Luke. I hope you check back in and let me know what you thought. Chris Franklin, of course, from this very episode says, Fun show, guys. Rob has grown so much as a person this year. It's amazing. I think I may be able to coax him in a Superman 4 movie minute with enough Patreon support. No. Uh, Mego, through their British distributor Dennis Fisher, actually made Doctor Who toys in the late 70s, including a fourth Doctor and a Cyberman, so you can create the cover of this book with Migos. And he uh, helpfully provided some graphics. Yeah, those are fun. Those are, that, the uh, the hat on Doctor Who's a little wonky, but all the Mego stuff in the 70s is a little wonky. But the Cyberman is pretty cool, so thank you so much for that, Chris. Brian Linton says, I thoroughly enjoyed your discussion of this Doctor Who treasury. I'm a fan of the seventh Doctor, but never picked up on the 2000 AD vibe of that era until you mentioned it in your discussion. As soon as you did, it made perfect sense. Now that I think of it, the moderators from City of the Damned Story remind me a lot of the Bannermen from the TV episode Delta and the Bannermen, and neither villainous group would look out of place in a Judge Dredd story. You've just blown my mind into e-space. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> and Siskoid responds, Mission accomplished. So, again, thanks, everybody, for the comments. I really appreciate it. And it was great, of course, having Cisco and Jag on to talk about Doctor Who. I loved uh, covering some different stuff on the show uh, this year. And so, of course, now I'm going to move on to Twitter, where I have to thank everybody who retweets the new episode of the show. It always gets it uh, noticed. So, big thanks to Franklin Boyd, Dallin Baumgarten, Irving Forbush, Liz Ann Oswald, Cisco, Angel Cato, BoldOutlaw.com, David Ace Gutierrez, Chris Lewis, Tim Price, Ryan Daly, Fan Film Friday's podcast, and Coffee and Comics. Thank you, Clinton. PhD Junker, Ange, Chris, Into the Weird, Irredeemable Shag, Firestorm Fan, Comics in the Golden Age, Chris Lydon, and Between the Pages. So thank you all for the retweets. I really do appreciate it. So uh, that is basically going to wrap up uh, Treasury Cast for 2019. Of course, if you want to support uh, the Fire and Water Podcast Network and Treasury Cast specifically, you can go to our Patreon site, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And for different uh, levels, you can unlock different rewards, and one of which is to be name-checked on a show of the from the network of your choice. So you can be mentioned on Treasury Cast if you would like. So just go again to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So, as I said, that is going to do it for 2019 for Treasury Cast. I've had a lot of fun. It's been a lot of uh, great guests I've had on for the show. I've been very, very fortunate to have some really fun people to talk to and cover some of my favorite comics uh, of all time, plus some new things, of course. Again, Transformers and Doctor Who. And I'm very excited at the news that supposedly Marvel will be putting out a couple of new treasuries 
uh, at the very end of 2019 and into 2020. So I hope to cover those on the show. It's very exciting. I love it that Marvel is doing treasuries again. So they're doing their Silver Surfer treasury and a history of the Marvel Universe treasury. So that'll be really amazing if we get to do this book. So I hope they come out. and Because uh, I think I've, I've heard about some other Marvel treasuries that were supposed to come out and they never quite did. So I hope these actually do make it out. It's a very, very exciting time to be a treasury fan. Well, it's always exciting time to be a treasury fan. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for all the retweets. Thanks for all the feedback. Thanks for the uh, reviews on iTunes, uh, they're always appreciated. I love doing Treasury Cast, and I love the response I get. So it's just been a blast. And I look forward to doing uh, more episodes in 2020. So I guess that is going to do it for Treasury Cast. I guess, of course, big thanks to my pal Chris Franklin, who always comes back for our Christmas show. Uh, this was fun talking about another kind of offbeat Treasury, uh, you know, Transformers and Flintstones and Doctor Who. It's lots of new stuff this year. So again, that's going to do it for everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And until next year, go big or go home. Uh, I can't remember how Santa said to start this thing, Bon. Well, you just call out the names of all the reindeer, Fripp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, on Jumper, on uh, uh, Thunder, on Bouncer, and uh, Flunder, on... Uh, 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 Fred, Fred, it's, it's on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donna, on Blitzen. <laughs>